Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Lake Short Psychology Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Berger, one of our fantastic therapists here. Uh, I'm Jeremy, our licensed marriage family therapist we have on, on staff. And today, Dr. Berger and I are going to talk about family systems. Dr. Berger, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Jeremy. So I'm excited to talk about family systems. Today. Yeah, and we're going to super nerd out about it because it's my my cup of tea to Absolutely. talk family systems. So yeah. uh, for our, our listeners who aren't psychology nerds like you and I are, what <laughs> what does that even mean? That sounds uh, that sounds so technical. That sounds so jargony. What are family systems? It does sound kind of jargony, and it really isn't because a family system is usually composed of the parents and the children. And there are, that's what we consider the family of origin. And then in a family of origin, there are usually parents, 2.5 kids, a white picket fence. No, just kidding. That's a stereotype. But what we do have is normally the children are part of the family and they are considered a subset of the executive system, which is the parents, and they're supposed to be in charge. And when a family system goes haywire, which is usually the time that we will see either the children or the parents or just one or the other, um, that's when there's problems. And the problems can be in the executive system, they can be in the subsystem of the children, um, they can be with extended family that perhaps is living as part of this family system. Um, there are many instances where a grandparent, uh, either one of the parents, um, parents, comes to live in the family or be part of that family to help with the young children, and then they are also part of that family system. So it's it's mainly the people who are working together mm -hmm. to make the family a stable unit. Yeah, fantastic definition. You can tell Dr. Berger is coming from that, that academic background where she was, <laughs> she was teaching all this stuff. Um, and, and people come from all these different systems. So family right. is just one system we have. We have systems right. where we're at work. We have systems with our church, with our, mm -hmm. our neighborhoods. We have all these different systems. Mm -hmm. People are constantly in motion with all their systems. So um, part of my background, my training is, is doing family therapy. And so we learned cybernetics. We learned all these things that sound like they should be computer courses instead of family right. therapy yep. courses. Um, as a therapist, when, when someone comes in your office, when do you start thinking this is maybe more of a systemic issue than, than an individual issue? How do you kind of differentiate those things? Well, I usually look at the family system right from the get-go. And right from the beginning, I will do what we call a family genogram, which is to look at the system, family of origin, from which someone came. Now, when we're talking about a child or a teenager, it's usually just their family of origin, the family that they came from, their parents, um, their siblings, perhaps a grandparent or aunt or uncle or cousins who are also intimately involved in this family that is growing up and working together. And I will do a genogram, which is just a very simple drawing of the family system. And then I'll start asking questions about individual members of that family system. When I am seeing someone who isn't a teenager, who is a little bit older and perhaps has a boyfriend or a girlfriend of their own, or a spouse, a partner, life partner of their own, I will ask not only their family of origin and questions, but I will also take a look at the system of family that they created. So we've got two systems that we're looking at, both the um, family of origin system and the created family system. That helps to give me an idea of how someone grew up, how they learned how to love, how they learned how to fight, how they learned how to be part of a family system, um, and are they repeating these patterns if they are Let's just take an adult, for instance. If they are an adult, are they repeating some of these 
uh, maybe not stellar examples from their family of origin into their new created family and is that what is causing the problem? Is it a personality disorder of the person coming to see me? Is it a substance use disorder? Is it another mental health issue that's interfering with their ability to be an appropriate part of this created family? So I really look at the system from the get-go. Sure. And, and when you're doing a genogram, and I always kind of say like the non-jargon version of genogram is, is a family tree. Family tree, yes. We're the psychological overtones. That's exactly how I describe it to right. my... Uh, it's a little, a little yeah. more complicated than that because we add some things and, mm-hmm. and conflict and relationship types. But right. um, what, what do you feel like when you're doing genograms? I feel like um, when I do them, clients get a lot out of it. So it's this yes. assessment tool for me, but in your experience mm-hmm. of doing genograms, what do you think the, the client who's coming in and doing that genogram with you, what are they getting out of it? I think they're getting a lot of more information too, especially when we're looking at intergenerational patterns, patterns that go from one generation and are repeated. Um, What I like to look at also is, and this is another one of those complicated psychological terms, is homeostasis. What keeps the family in balance? And I give the example of a mobile and how all the different parts on a mobile, like for instance, if you think about a child's mobile that you have above a crib perhaps, or what have you, and some of us, you know, we have mobiles in our offices just for something to hang out there and, you know, look cute. Um, But they're always in balance, these mobiles. And if you add a paperclip to one of the objects on this particular mobile, the whole thing kind of tilts and is is weird. And that's often what happens with um, family systems that whether it's an individual or the family that comes to see us, is that something is out of whack, something is out of balance. And we either need to then start adding paper clips to all the other things or take that paper clip off. Now that paper clip can represent a mental health issue, a substance use disorder, personality disorder. It can represent just someone that came into this created family with a family of origin background that is inappropriate, that isn't working, that doesn't fit with this new created family. And so we have to figure that out. And when I do a genogram, clients can see that. And it's absolutely amazing and eye-opening how much clients can get out of just a simple genogram. Yeah, I think the the visual component's really important because a lot of times we kind of have a family history in mind. We Mm -hmm. have some knowledge of, oh, our our Aunt Susie had this mental health issue, but we don't talk about it too much. But I think Mm -hmm. when you start tracking it and you can look at it through multiple generations, a lot of those patterns, Mm -hmm. word that you said a couple of times in there that that I'm going to highlight, those patterns become much more apparent because we can visually see it. It's not this kind of amorphous blob in our brain. It's a concrete visualization that we're getting to see. Absolutely. Um, the other thing that you mentioned that, that I thought was really interesting is, is those paper clips, kind of when we, those mm-hmm. things that cause uh, an, an imbalance in the homeostasis, sometimes they're healthy things and we don't sometimes always, they can be, absolutely. Uh, we don't always think of that right away where uh, a member, a family member being healthier could unbalance the system. And absolutely. so in that situation, what does, what does the system do? What does homeostasis do for a family member who's getting healthier? Oftentimes, I would say 99% of the time, the family tries to take off that healthy paperclip and it will do whatever it can to sabotage that newfound health that the person has. And just as an example, one of my areas of specialization is substance use disorders. Mm -hmm. So we've got, you know, one of the family members seeking treatment for their substance use disorder and the family will then sabotage this newfound freedom and the newfound, um, 
family member who's now no longer using their substance and acting differently and going to meetings instead of drinking or drugging and they will actively sabotage that in order to create the homeostasis again the balance because this is not the person that we knew we liked the per didn't necessarily like the person but at least we knew where we were coming home to sure and so now we no longer know what's going on because you know now Johnny is going to meetings Johnny is no longer drinking or drugging and we don't have a clue what's going on right. because we're not part of that yeah and it's really really interesting how some of those things can play out because we think that a healthy change is always a good thing but right. for a system a healthy change is very scary it's unstable um, and so these these systems like you said sometimes it's taking a paper clip out maybe we're getting rid of that substance abuse yeah or maybe it's somebody who, who had uh, a mental health issue or a substance abuse issue got healthier they mm -hmm. added a paper clip and then it's working with the system so that everybody can add a paper clip Absolutely. That is very, very true. And that is one of the things that I try to educate people on so that um, the folks that do have the systems where they're trying to be or the, where the system is trying to sabotage the individual, then we work within the system. And that's why some of the peer support groups have something called ACOA um, or Adult Children of Alcoholics and they also have um, meetings for people who not only are family members and they have meetings for adult children, they have all kinds of uh, adjunct meetings that will be helpful to the person that is going and getting sober. So this helps the family then to also get healthy, to create healthy boundaries, to create ways in which that um, family can also add that healthy paper clip. Yeah. And I think uh, substance abuse is, is a really good example because it's very apparent. Absolutely. It's a little bit easier to see than some perhaps some mental health issues such as depression or anxiety. Sure. And I talk about, uh, I'm a big analogy person. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the analogies I, I talk about is it's different with identifying a mental health issue because somebody who, who hurts their ankle is on crutches. Somebody who Correct. breaks their arm gets a cast. We don't mm -hmm. see depression. We don't see anxiety. We don't see trauma that way. It doesn't get a visual attached to it. And so a lot of times families aren't aware of these things going on. They're not aware of their own homeostasis. They right. just, they mm -hmm. grow up and think it's normal. Absolutely. And one of the patterns you identified earlier is, is when uh, an adult couples off, then we have one person's uh, family of origin interacting with another person's family of origin and that's where a lot of the homeostasis breaks down because we learn oh I grew up this way and I thought it was normal but apparently that's not normal at all right or that's so different from the way that you grew up and whether or not we agree or disagree on what what is normal because you know yeah we could debate that till the cows sure. come home proverbially um, but just growing up differently and putting those two different families of origin together and to create a new family of origin is really, really tough. Mm -hmm. And so when you add children into the mix, that creates another layer of anxiety, potential problems, and potential areas for that intergenerational conflict to start happening. Yeah, and I would, I would even go so far as to say, I think children uh, amplify it. Absolutely. Because a lot of times couples can kind of manage some of those, those um, their internal biases, they can, They've thought about it a little bit more of like, oh, I saw my parents fight this way and I don't want to do that. And they've gone through the process to think what they're going to do instead. Right. Where with parenting, we don't always, I, uh, my experience working with clients is that work doesn't always happen. 
Right. Um, Absolutely. A lot of times people get married or um, and they're going to do pre-marriage counseling or they're, mm-hmm. they're prepping. A lot of times that stuff doesn't happen with kids. You know, maybe right. they read a book on it. But mm-hmm. a lot of those things, I think, are so much more ingrained because they happened before we were conscious. They happened in right. our zero to five years, our formative years. And so we're repeating it because it's what our brain knows, not right. because we've made an intentional thought to do right. that. Right. And it's that conscious decision making that is very, very important. And when I do premarital counseling, that is one of the major things that I talk about because it's a major stressor to have children. And how are you going to raise your children? Do you want to, how do you, how will you manage financially? How will you manage spiritually? How will you manage time? How will you manage all of these things coming from completely different backgrounds? Mm-hmm. So even people who grow up in the same area, in the same neighborhood, have different families of origin and therefore different systems within which they grew. So it's one of those things where you have to make sure and be able to mesh these ideas together. And it is always best to do that before you actually get married. However, <laughs> that's in my perfect world. So Yes, that's certainly an ideal version. Um, but I think, too, one of the things I highlight, highlight with, with couples I work with is diversity makes us stronger. And so it's, it's one of those things where you don't need to look for somebody who has your same family of origin. You need to learn and, and just be open to creating new understandings so right. that you are, like you said, being intentional Absolutely. with the system you're going to create on your right. own because that intentionality is really helpful. And that Absolutely. is just work. It's just yeah. work. You have conversation after conversation. Something pops up. You deal with it. You tweak things. You adjust mm-hmm. things. There is no... Uh, kind of skipping that or no no absolutely and I like what you just said Jeremy that we have to ensure that people are talking to each other and talking in a way that is respectful Mm -hmm. and talking to each other in a way that at least honors the other person's story even if we don't agree with it but at least honor it listen to it take what you need from that that person's story your your partner's story and if it resonates with you and you can make it work absolutely if it's something that doesn't work talk about it how can we tweak this to make this our own and as we're coming into the holiday season one of the big things is how do we celebrate the holidays Mm -hmm. and that's a huge bone of contention for many many people it can also be a great conversation starter to let's create our own traditions our own holiday traditions yeah when i was working in higher ed and doing a lot of counseling on, on college campuses it was I saw that for the first time. Um, clients were going in their first significant relationship and figuring out how to sort holidays out was one of their biggest stressors mm-hmm. because how are we splitting Thanksgiving? How are we splitting Christmas? All of a sudden mm-hmm. we have this person and it's it's where you start doing the differentiation to right. throw my own jargony word out there, um, where that individual is setting their own family mm-hmm. um, system and kind of breaking off from their family of origin to do their own thing. And it, it, it can be really stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, I would argue it's almost always very stressful for one or both partners um, because that process of differentiation is really tough, but really important that couples go through it and be intentional with it. Um, Holidays are a big one. Um, Anything I think that's kind of ritualized is is big. So holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, those Mm -hmm. things that are typically family gatherings. Weddings, funerals, yeah. absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And that ritual is really strong and that's where couples can uh, and, and new family systems can create their own system is by mm-hmm. setting some new traditions, bringing some old traditions or some old rituals. I use the word ritual but but thinking tradition. You know, mm-hmm. are you that family that hides a pickle ornament right. somewhere around your tree? Right. And for someone who's never done that, they're like, 
what why We're why is that Im- yeah right. why is that important why do you care um, so mm-hmm. I think again just having those conversations over and over and over again is great um, absolutely we're naturally going into prevention mode talking about the ideal version mm-hmm. but but that's not typically how it plays out typically when when I'm meeting with somebody it's it's been years of unhealthy behaviors mm-hmm. and so those behaviors unfortunately are kind of ingrained when people are coming to therapy absolutely people. And- and usually we see that when the children start acting out in a certain way and the parents have that epiphany, that aha moment, and realize, wait a minute, what are you doing? This is not how you're supposed to act. Right. Yeah. And I think um, all these patterns help create expectations. And so when mm-hmm. someone's kind of going against the set expectation, that's that's when the problems start. Right. So Or when people realize that there is a problem because there's been a problem all along. It's just not never really made it to the surface to consciousness. Right. And when consciousness starts to happen and people realize, oh my goodness, my teenager is acting like this rather than like that, which is what I expected, at that point in time usually is when they come to see us, sadly. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and with couples, if it's not a parenting issue, it's Couples don't come in after their first fight. Couples come in after uh, someone finally says the word divorce, and then they're going to mm-hmm. uh, seek therapy. So it's one of those yeah. things where these patterns, um, as as systems therapists, as people who think systemically, it's it's mm-hmm. patterns. We're looking for patterns. How long right. has the pattern been around? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's intergenerationally. Sometimes it's been years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And so therapy is one of those interesting things where in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, we're trying to undo potentially years of behaviors. Right. Um, right. And setting is, new patterns of behavior. Right. And so it's kind of a both end of, of eliminating the old patterns and creating a new pattern. Right. And right. That, that's a lot of shifting for these systems that are craving homeostasis. Absolutely. And that is one of the biggest challenges for us as well, is that here we are asking this entire system to change, but only because somebody said the D word, divorce. Right. And oftentimes one of the things is that the husband will come in in a stereotypical um, heterosexual relationship, the husband will come in and say, well, but you know, my wife has stopped nagging me. I thought we were doing great. And the wife says, well, I stopped nagging you because it didn't make any difference and now I'm done. Mm -hmm. And so that in and of itself can be quite a shock to the entire system that, wait a minute, I thought everything was great and the other person saying, nope, I'm done. So. Yeah. That is usually when we see people, and that is so hard to turn around at that point. So I wish, in a way, that premarital counseling would happen for everyone, but mm-hmm. it sadly it does not, and there it is. Yeah, yeah. So. And I think one of the things I see a lot, I see uh, a lot of couples coming in after an affair, and an affair is kind of one of those similar things where there are all these behaviors that have kept homeostasis going, even if the relationship isn't healthy. And I, I refer to it as cracks in the foundation. And so mm-hmm. at some point, that crack gets wide enough where someone else can fit into it. And that's where an affair happens. It's, it's one of those things where um, a lot of times, mindless, mindlessly, we've allowed these behaviors to become patterns. These, right. these um, individual behaviors turn into habits, and bad habits exist yeah. for all of us. And if we're not intentional with it, if we don't have the awareness to mm-hmm. catch them, they create larger problems. Absolutely, and sometimes it's that introspection and that awareness of our own part in it, um, or in this case, you know, the client's part in what in keeping the patterns going, that can sometimes be enough of a aha. Maybe I need to change this. And people that are not necessarily self-aware can still coming back to that genogram. They can still visually see, oh, I learned how to do this 
because of the pattern that my parents showed me. Mm -hmm. And now I'm repeating that same pattern and maybe that's not working so very well for me because of societal issues, what's going on in my family of origin. Now, you know, what have you, mom and dad have split after, you know, decades and decades of marriage, what mm -hmm. have you. And maybe that's not exactly what I want for myself. Yeah. I yeah. want to change things. And, and right, all of that requires some level of awareness, some Absolutely. acknowledgement of, hey, I don't like it this way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then acknowledgement that something different could happen. Right. I think a lot of times, especially working with substance abuse, you'll see the intergenerational substance abuse because people know, I don't want to do that, mm -hmm. but they don't do the blueprint of what they want to do instead. And without right. that blueprint of what to do instead, you're gonna, your brain's going to do what it knows how to do. Exactly. So. And, you know, one of the things that amazes me is that people will say, well, I want to stop drinking. I want to stop drugging. Okay, well, what are you going to do instead? And oftentimes I get that deer in the headlights look like, wait, what? I'm supposed to fill this with something? Yes, absolutely. Right. Nature does not do well with a vacuum and neither do we behaviorally. Right. And so if we don't find something that you used to like doing as a kid or something you've seen other people do, a TV show you watched and you saw something that looked like it would be fun for you to try as well, just dreaming of something else to fill your time because it takes a lot of energy to gather your substance, to use your substance, and then recover from the use of that particular substance. Mm -hmm. And so all of that time that has been spent doing engaging in that behavior needs to be filled with something else. And it should be something that is satisfying. Maybe not necessarily something that releases the same endorphins as <laughs> your particular substance, but you know, something that is still satisfying. Right. And, and that's true for substance use. I think that's true for couples who, who are arguing a lot. Mm -hmm. If you spend four hours a week arguing, that four hours has to get filled with something. Absolutely. Otherwise, you're going to argue just to fill time. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, couples kind of, again, without, that's one of the nice things of therapy is it provides time and space to have that introspection and to have that awareness to say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. We should fill that with something better than arguing. We should fill that with something better than drug use. Absolutely. Um, yes. And that's, that's where the work comes in, I think, obviously. Right, and that is also where we can help with folks to give them some ideas of what we what they can do to fill their time, how they can be healthy, how they can be intentional, not only in their marriage and their relationship, but in also in what they pass on to their children and also what the children have learned. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest helps that we can give as therapists is to encourage folks to change the pattern of interaction so that the next generation doesn't have the same inappropriate behaviors and can work with what they have. Yeah. And I think looking and thinking systemically changing behaviors, multiple people working together to change behaviors creates very quick change and yep. creates long lasting change as Absolutely. opposed to one person trying yes. to change it. Awesome. Well, this has been super fun. This has been wonderful. Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> Dr. Berger was worried about uh, doing a podcast because she thought I was just going to make her talk into a microphone. And <laughs> I was like, oh, no, we'll talk. It'll be a conversation. It'll it'll go much smoother than that. I'm going to put you on the spot right at, right at the end here. Holidays are coming up. Mm -hmm. um, what's one of the intentional things that you or your family do that's, that's a really healthy thing that kind of helps kind of keep the stress of the holidays low and keeps the enjoyment high? One of our favorite things in our family that we like to do is to talk about what we're grateful for, that's things that have happened in the past year. Mm -hmm. um, we do it at Thanksgiving, but we also do it at the new year. Sure. Um, what's been one of the most wonderful things that has happened to you this past year? And the hard part, especially for my children, has always been to pick just one thing, sure. which makes my heart warm that they have so many wonderful things that picking one is hard. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
that is one of our big traditions that we enjoy doing. How about you? Fantastic. Um, I think we're, my family's in a little bit different stage. I have younger children, mm-hmm. so um, we just set up our Christmas tree, which is really fun. Um, we do um, all the different ornaments. It's not one of those Christmas trees that looks professionally done. It's all right. these these weird ornaments we've accumulated mm-hmm. over, over the years. That's why I brought up the pickle ornament, because that's hidden on our tree. Um, mm-hmm. So this year is different. We have an 11-month-old, so he's just learned how to walk. And so it was a lot of fun having him, you know, work on the lower branches while Absolutely. his older brother, who knows our traditions, has mm-hmm. been like, no, Xander, you can't do it that way. That one needs to go up here. So I think <laughs> yeah. that was that was really fun. Just um, I'm really big on no Christmas stuff until after Thanksgiving. So it was the weekend after too. Thanksgiving that yes. we, we put up the tree and that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, we are, we do the same. So I think yeah. it's good to have some boundaries on your holidays Absolutely. like that. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, Dr. no Christmas in July. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, Dr. Berger, this has been awesome. Thanks for taking the time to talk. Thank you for having me. Um, this will go up on our website, so check us out at lakeshorepsychologyservices.com.